Yo, 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 it's a pinball pimp, and I'm not polishing my cherry hose. I'm listening to Shaggy and Norm on the Topcast. Hey guys, this segment of Topcast is not brought to you by Vegemite, providing the illusion of sustenance since 1926. You're listening to Topcast, this old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime. www.marvin3m.com slash topcast. Okay, welcome to Topcast. Topcast is, present, is uh, sponsored today by Margo Specialties, uh, the Pin Game Journal, and Pinball Life. So today we're coming from the Department of New Games. That is, we're going to talk about some new games. We're going to have uh, a caller call in, and he's going to tell us about some of uh, Stern's new offerings and uh, and what uh, what they got to show for. So let's uh, let's get rolling on this. I'm going to place the call, and we're going to bring in Jack from PinballSales.com to talk to us about today about uh, Stern's new offerings. Hold on a sec. Let me get him on. Special guests. Special guests. Special guests. Special guests. Hi, Jack. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Great. You're on. Uh, you're on the air. Okay. That's nice. So this is Jack from PinballSales.com, and uh, Jack, why don't you tell us about your company and how you got started and uh, what your history is in the coin up how, how long is this show? <laughs> um, well, give me the Reader's Digest version. I've, um, I've been in the business a little bit over 30 years. I started um, uh, fixing electromechanical pinball machines in about 1975 when I got out of school, and... Um, you know, I loved it ever since. Um, I um, had some opportunities presented to me. I became, uh, uh, I guess, a game operator, somebody that had games in location, and uh, maybe my accent gives away my Brooklyn, New York uh, background. So I had... Um, hey, I'm from New York, time, too, so I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, well, I had maybe at one time about 500 games out on location. Um, in the heyday of everything, you know, in the 1980s, uh, we moved to New Jersey in um, 1989, and um, shortly thereafter, I basically pulled up all my roots in New York, opened a couple of uh, FECs, family entertainment centers in New Jersey. A uh, couple were, uh, one was a, a large uh, on a scale of 15,000 square feet where we did uh, birthday parties. It was called Fuzzy's Family Fun Factory. Um, I was asked to do some consulting for a company at the time, uh, Mondial uh, International, which owned uh, distribution offices. Mondial, as you uh, your listeners may or may not know, was owned by um, Bob Fezjian and uh, Søren Fezjian, Dick Sarkeesian, uh, and they owned Gottlieb as well. And uh, right before I got over to uh, Mondial, they uh, shuttered the uh, Gottlieb factory. So... Um, I went in as a consultant. It was only going to be a one or two day a week thing, and I wound up um, being general manager of the company. Uh, while I still had my uh, amusement center, I had some very good people at my amusement center take care of it for me. And I would uh, start out there about five in the morning, and end up there about midnight at night <laughs> on my way home. So it was um, pretty pretty full days doing that, and that was about uh, a year and a half. 
Um, Mondial sold out to uh, State Sales, another distributor based in Baltimore, where you know I was only going to do this thing for a little while, and I kind of got stuck for a year. Um, but it, it was a good year. It was a growing year. I made a lot of uh, other contacts and distribution, other distributors around the country, factory people. Um, so I um, I left in May of 1999, went back to my amusement center. Um, nobody there needed me because they had everything running perfectly without me. And I kind of got the idea. I said, you know, there's a lot of pinball machines in Europe. I could probably bring these things back and sell them to homes. In what year was this? This was uh, in May of 1999. Okay. And uh, what I did was I reached out to Dick Sarkeesian, who, you know, they own Mondial and Gottlieb. They sold thousands and thousands of pinball machines into Europe for many, many years. So who better to go and, and know all those people and bring them back to the United States? So uh, Dick made a couple of trips, um, and pretty much I had... Uh, containers on the water by, um, I don't know, probably June or July, um, probably about August of 1999, um, but no home to put them in. Uh, the funny thing was, around the same time, a uh, business broker uh, came into my business and said, hey, you know, you want to sell this amusement center? It wasn't for sale, and I said, well, the right price, everything goes. So by the time December rolled around, Fuzzies was sold. I uh, took a space, uh, 8,000 square feet, in uh, an upscale industrial park uh, in one town over in Lakewood, New Jersey. And uh, the containers arrived the day that I got the key uh, to the building. Now, how many containers were, did you uh, come in for a while, Wow. Uh, we probably brought in about 10 containers, pinball machines. So 72 games per container. Yeah. And you brought yeah. in so, 10 Some had 55. Some were, were stacked in... Uh, interesting configurations to say the least but those were in the days where um you know dick uh sarkeesian he he had some great relationships with the people um and let's say we brought in a game you know that had a, a cracked ramp or something like that these people they would put the replacement ramp in the game you know they wouldn't install it for us but i mean i was buying Adams families for 600 bucks and creatures for 600 bucks and you know, after we after we reconned them and everything, we're only selling them for you know seventeen or eighteen hundred dollars. So there was some profit margin in it, obviously, but you know prices were something different, and supply was different, and demand was different. Wow. So, yeah. so were you are uh, do you still sell used games primarily, or do you sell just new stuff? Well, you know the the funny dynamic is that if we go back to say two things, which is first full year of pinbales.com doing business, uh, our sales, about 55 to 60% of our sales were used pinball machines. Uh, today, less than 1% of our sales are used pinball machines today. Is that because the availability just isn't there? Or? Yeah, it's, it's partially because, it, well, a big part of it is the availability. You know, if I could get good used machines, um, it might make a bigger percentage. You know, our sales in um, in 2000 were 1.4 million dollars. So, you know, now if we go percentage, you know, we're we're way up over that in sales. So, you know, that percentage uh, of used uh, numbers, units, and and dollars has shrunk. But today, I really only get good used pinball machines uh, from people that we sold them to years ago. 
they trade them back to us. Almost nothing that we sell ever comes back. So from 1999 to when, how long did it take you to sell 72 times 10 containers full of games? That must have taken uh, some period of time to get them all up and everything. Yeah, play this few kicking them. There. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last container I bought was about two years ago. Uh, a supposed friend of mine in the industry told me that there were some really good games down in Puerto Rico. And um, I believed him, but what arrived was a container of pinball machines that looked like they went swimming without bathing suits. Right. So, um, you know, even I get screwed. I'm not... Uh, <laughs> yeah, and the uh, prices on container games just, you know, used to be, you know, they were two, three, four, maybe $500 was a lot for right. any particular game. And they would just sell them, you know, it didn't matter if you were buying a Popeye or an Adams Family. Right. You know, they're basically, you know, the same price. And then all of a sudden, now they want to get close to retail. And, you know, they're giving you, uh, you know, WWFs and, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, you're right. I had, uh, two weeks ago, I had a gentleman in Argentina uh, contact me. And uh, he wanted me to call him back, and I have a, uh, one employee at least that speaks uh, Spanish very well. So we did uh, a phone call on Skype, which is pretty cool. And uh, he spoke to him, and the list was exchanged. And you know, we're talking about Maverick. He's looking to get you know seventeen hundred dollars from me, for me, for Maverick. And we, <laughs> I don't know where you go with the game once it arrives, but. I'll tell you what, it's not going to be in any kind of shape to sell it, that's for right. sure. Right, and the only place to go in with that particular game is probably down. Well, you know, it's funny, I, I don't know why I mentioned Maverick, because that's the one that kicked out at me, but last Maverick I had, uh, I donated it to Don Imus's ranch and uh, <laughs> uh, for the kids, because he was looking for a Western-themed pinball machine, so that's what I did with the last Maverick I had. Wow. Wow. Well, <laughs> so now you're big on selling new Sterns, and what, how's your relationship with Stern? Uh... It's not good. No, no, it's it's good. Um, you know, there's, there's always a story. Everybody that knows me, you know, for a short time or a long time, they always say, you know, everything is a story with you. And it's right. Um, you know, we would go along selling uh, used pinball machines, and I was happy to do that. You know, I started that business. Um, there was no business plan. There was nothing in writing. There was, you know, I wasn't going to the bank look for me. I mean, you know, I, I, I did it, you know, with my money. Um, I didn't know if I was going to be in business a week, a month, 10 years, or what. Uh, I did know um, that there was a good market uh, in the home uh, for pinball machines. Okay, and I'll get to the Stern thing in a minute. Um, and what happened when I left commercial distribution, I was offered a job in uh, April of 2000 by another distributor uh, to come into their company. But I had already had pinballsales.com. And, um, you know, it was a great offer, but, you know, I'd rather kind of, like, do my own thing. And uh, the person that made the offer to me at this other distributor, he said to me, you know, I don't really wish you anything bad, but you'll probably be out of business, uh, you know, in a few months. And maybe then, if you're looking for a job, uh, you could get in touch with me. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of funny what So was that like over. a preemptive strike? <laughs> Is that what he was Well, like? you know, I, I believe that um, he didn't see any of the home market, which none of the commercial distributors saw. Um, you know, they all thought I was nuts, uh, you know, but I looked at it this way. I, I was an operator and, and technician, and I saw locations, and I saw the equipment out there, and I looked at the map and, and the demographic of people, and we're in Central New Jersey, and you're building all the big homes back then, 
And I'm saying, you know, I have millions and millions of people potentially to sell to in a growing market every year, and the coin-op side of this thing is shrinking every year. So I think I'll take my chance on the other side of the fence. And Plus, you know, the other thing, Clay, was I developed a customer in FAO Schwarz uh, while I was at State Sales and, and Mondial, where um, I sold equipment to FAO Schwarz, and let's say I sold them, um, you know, a Striker Extreme Pinball or whatever I was selling them, or actually goes back earlier than that. Let's say it was um, a Star Wars uh, Trilogy was in their catalog, I think, in 1997. You know, and they were selling them for 7500 bucks, and we were selling to them for, like, I don't know, 33 or 3400 bucks. Were they actually selling them at that rate? I mean, oh, yeah. were they getting it? Yeah, they were selling them then, if you go back to the old catalog, yeah. But, I mean, but, you did, know, did they remember, actually move the items? Well, you know, they're customer-based. They need things. Those kind of companies need a wow item for the catalog sometimes. I mean, they had a monopoly set for $100,000 with, uh, you know, a ruby and diamond encrusted uh, playing pieces. So, you know, they need those kind of wow items, and pinball is always cool. Um, but their customer base, you know, is like if Ozzy Osbourne walked in there and pointed to a pinball machine and he said, give me that, give me this, give me this, that was the kind of customer base they had. Um, right, right. Which the Internet changed the dynamic of those kind of stores selling at the prices they were selling for also. So you're not selling to them anymore? Yeah, sure I am. Sure. But do, do they still move product? Yes, they do. In fact, uh, last week they sold the Coke machine. Huh, wow. That we're delivering to um, um, a Fortune 100 CEO in Manhattan uh, this coming week. Wow. And, you're, and you said you're located in New Jersey? Yes. And what part of New Jersey? It's Lakewood. L-A-K-E-W-O-O-D. It's central New Jersey. Uh, for those people that are fans of Jersey Shore, it's about 15 minutes from Jersey Shore, about an hour north of Atlantic City, about 15 minutes south of where Bruce Springsteen is from in Freehold. Um, you know, we can be pretty much a lot of different places in an hour. We can be in Philly. We can be in Manhattan in an hour and 15 minutes. Um, you know, so it's, it's a good place for us, and it's, it's five miles from home. I live in Jackson, New Jersey, where Great Adventure is. And uh, contrary to what a lot of people think, they didn't name the town after me. So. <laughs> and uh, how far are you from actually Manhattan? Um, the way I drive, it's about an hour. Oh, <laughs> you drive. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a, a little break here. Um, hold on a second for us, Jack. I'm going to sure. run a couple commercials here. Pins and Vids Episode 2, Attack of the Phones, is now available at pinsandvids.com. It's the best Pins and Vids yet. Double the fun and half the underwear of the first episode. Surely to be nominated for an Oscar for the best use of fake phones in a niche video or best special effects during a dream sequence. Worth much, much more than the $6 including shipping selling price. It's worth at least 7 or seven fifty. Get your copy now at pinsandvids.com. And now for a word from our lawyer. The entire sale price goes to the Pinball Hall of Fame. First episode, also available. Some pinball machines were hurt during the filming of the Pins Vids, but they were old. Get your deranged DVDs on Coin Up Goodness now. Think you have what it takes to get out of TopCast? So do we. The truth is, we can't get enough of these personal problems. You know. Hi, this is Rick Swan. This is Eric A. Hey, this is Flippy. Hey, this is Kermit. This is Mr. Hyde. So if you have this insatiable desire to hear yourself plug in TopCast.org radio, and we really hope you do. Send the corn an email, and it'll give you instructions on how you can be on the next show. T-H-E-K-O-R-N at T-H-E-K-O-R-N dot net. Corn at the corn dot net. And we'll get you fixed up right away, and probably on the next show. Hey, we're настроены на радио Topcast. С вами здесь Corn and Shaggy. 
Hey, this is Curb, and even hot Russian chicks love to listen to Norm and Shaggy on Topcast. Hey, this is Oksana, you're listening to Topcast with Norm and Shaggy. Okay, we're back with uh, Jack from PinballSales.com. Are you afraid to say my last name? Well, you you can go ahead and say it. Uh, you don't want to mispronounce it, right? Yeah, there you go. Quinary. Yeah, that, <laughs> I was going to step all over that I in know, a big okay, bad I way. So, sure. what's uh, on? Uh, what are you selling now? When as far as Stern games, what's available for you to sell? Oh wow! Well, we have um, Pirates, which has been really, really great. Um, great game. Uh, we have some Elvis. We have some Lord of the Rings. We have Sopranos. We have Simpsons. Uh, we have NASCAR, and uh, we have World Poker Tour. And we have Family Guy soon. I've been, you know, I must have written, I don't know, about 60 Family Guys already, 65, something like that. Well, on any particular, if you have a good run of games, I mean, how many uh, how many units can you sell of, say, a, a Family Guy? We're over, well, we're over 300 uh, Pirates right now that we sold. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That'll, you know, when I first saw the game... Um, Wait, pirates, you mean? Or, yeah, uh, when I first saw Pirates... Uh, let's go to that one before I get to Family Guy, which is really great. Um, and a lot of people just think, you know, if you ask Gary Stern what his favorite game is, his his yeah, it's whatever is, game he's making. Yeah, his <laughs> stock standard answer. Oh, whatever's on the assembly line right now, uh, you know. So you know, Gary. Um, but you know, Gary does have favorites, and um, you know, we all do. I mean, I tell people the uh, different flavors of ice cream, and you know, you like vanilla, chocolate, but you like ice. Uh, when I first saw Pirates, you know, it was at a time where um, I didn't see it. I didn't get out to Stern last last year until uh, July, and um, I had about you know forty, fifty orders for the game, and nobody even saw a picture of the of the thing. You know, it was really wacky, and um, I was just hoping the game was going to be good because I was going to be in trouble otherwise. You know, I give these people back their their deposits or just you know I can't really put on a good face. You know, um, but the game really surprised me. And I said to Dennis Nordman, and designers love to hear good things. Uh, you know, I tell them bad things sometimes, but I didn't have to tell him anything bad. I said, you know, I think this is going to be Stern's uh, best-selling game for a long time uh, because of the gameplay, because it's a Disney theme, and it's got pirates on it. The artwork looked good. It didn't offend anybody. Yeah, what's uh, there not to like? Yeah, I mean, you know... Even there should have been more chicks on that back glass, though. There should have been more chicks, I'm for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. That's that's for sure. They should have had some wenches, I guess they call them. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there wench. you go. Yeah, what's but, a pirate uh, without, a, lot without of fun, a wench? Um, because we had so many customers emailing me in uh, pirate talk and calling me in pirate talk. It was a little scary there for a little while. But um, on, on just the ride, the day I took the trip to Stern, it was a one-day event. So Jolly Backer, uh, Stern's national sales manager, and uh, he's a guy... Some days I wind up talking to him, you know, ten times a day. In the time it took him to take me from the airport, from from Stern to the airport, I sold three games on my on my phone on the way to the airport. <laughs> so once the pictures went up and Corn, you know, found that game and he put the video up, all hell broke loose. Literally, I mean, we had a hundred games sold, you know, over by the end of that weekend. I think I went out there on a Friday. By Monday, I was over a hundred games. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, it was, it so was have Christmas you played? July, it really was. Have you played Family Guy? Yeah. And yeah. W- you know, give us your opinion of that. Um, 
I, you know, I don't want to sound like the same same old, but I wasn't expecting much with Family Guy. Uh, my son Jack, um, he's going to be 16. Uh, he's really into Family Guy. A couple of years ago, you know, he said to me, "Oh, how come how come they don't make a Family Guy pinball machine?" So I gave him Gary Stern. Oh, so it was your there. idea that they did that? And nah, it wasn't his idea. I think they were working on it already. <laughs> um, I gave him Gary's email address, and I said, write him an email. You ask him. Let him deal with two Jack One areas. We'll give him a real nightmare. So um, <laughs> Gary wrote me back. He said, you know, we're looking into that theme. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool because it was kind of a different um, direction. You know, it was back in the direction of, let's say, uh, South Park. You know, it was that edgy kind of comedy. But I think South Park blazed the way uh, for Family Guy, you know, to happen. Well, is it, how edgy is it? I mean, is it really, I mean, the show is pretty edgy in itself. I mean, it's not as bad as South Park was, but it's, you know, certainly the dysfunctional family, you know, on the on the small screen in your living room. Um, I mean, does the pinball machine really play into that? Yeah. Good. Yeah. I this, like that. <laughs> this, this game. Because, is, you know, pinball people are all dysfunctional, you know what I mean? So well, you know, right I think pinball, you know what, though? I think pinball people are people. And, you know, people in general, if you get anybody into a group, uh, you're going to have your intellectuals, you're going to have your, uh, your wackies, you, go, you know, you're going to have that in any group. And certainly we're not any different, you know. Um, but I will say that Family Guy, it really says some things that are out there. Uh, you know, not out there, you're not from show. But there's some things that if that game is in the, the adult mode, you know, they might make a sale of blush, uh uh, you know, it's it's not cursing or anything, but there's some there's some language in that show that's that's you know it's out there. So, you know, you have three different settings on speech, and um, you know, I I think this thing says a uh, 800 different call, uh, voice calls and everything. Um, you know, so um, when I saw it and played it, I don't think it was um, you know halfway to where it is now. Uh, 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 software-wise and and speech and sound-wise. Now, did um, you they, see it in uh, Did you see it in London? No, I saw it in at Stern Pinball. I was out there a couple weeks ago. I was out there at the end of January. And they were happy, just happy to show you. Yeah, they're well. They're always happy when people come out and are interested in their product because it's an opportunity to, uh, um, you know, to market and to sell. But. You know, they're always happy to see me. Uh, that was the first trip I took my son on out to Stern. We we went out to Chicago for the weekend. So we spent uh, a cold Saturday downtown Chicago, and then Sunday we spent, uh, uh, you know, doing the museum planetarium thing, and we went out to dinner Sunday night, and then uh, Monday it was Stern. And um, I tell you what, they rolled out the red carpet for him, and uh, they, <laughs> they treated him really well. And we had a great we had a great day, but that game, uh, I thought it was going to be an okay game. You know, looking at the pictures and the play field and everything, and I got blown away. The game, the game was so much better than I thought it was going to be. I was I was shocked. Now, was, are you a, are you a good pinball player? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My son got I think my son got the second highest score on it, and on the first game I think he got about sixty five million on it or seventy million on it. And I was at like thirty-two million or something. He killed me. And um, you know, Pat Lawler was there with us, and um, you know, he was explaining the game. And then we took time and we, and we spent time with uh, 
Lonnie, Rob, and uh, Keith. Uh, uh, you know, Keith was was there uh, as well. Yeah, and, the software uh, guys. Huh? The software guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys. I tell you what. You know, I Joe Blackwell. It was Monday morning, and Joe Blackwell was freezing on his way into the door at Stern, and we pulled up at the same time Joe Blackwell was going in the door. And Joe, you know, gave me a big hug, and I introduced him to my son. And the guy didn't even take his coat off yet, and already he's got my son on a tour. And it's Monday morning, and all kinds of crap is you figure hitting the fan, people coming over to him, and want to. And he's like, "Nah, nah, nah, I'm taking Jack, Jack. It's not Jack. It's Jack. I'm taking Jack on a tour." So he took him, and I went with him, and. I haven't done that tour in a formal way, the way he did it. And I tell you, at the end of it, I was kind of amazed at that place again. I, I don't know how the heck they, they do what they do when they put their thing in a box and it actually comes out and works. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. I know, it's like amazing. It's like, all you see is this assembly line of like arms flailing, you know what I mean? And out comes a pinball machine. Yeah, you know, they have, I didn't realize the um, extent to which they test uh, parts. Uh, for tolerance and and um, you know we spent we spent time um, uh, with the people that do the documentation for the games and the, the CAD people and there's just so much involved you know that's why you know to set up a company that builds pinball machines I mean that, that's it, that, it's it's just that's why there's only one company that does it right now right yeah yeah no I agree okay let's take a little break and. Uh We'll be right back in uh, in just a second. This portion of TopCast is brought to you by Marco Specialties, your pinball parts superstore. TopCast is brought to you by Marco Specialties, your pinball parts superstore. Visit their website at marcospecialties.com. You can search for parts by game name, game make, or part number. Marco Specialties was founded in 1985 and is headquartered in Lexington, South Carolina. They specialize in pinball parts, supplies, books, and anything pinball. Marco has been online since 1996 and is the web's oldest and largest pinball parts supplier. Their new 12,000 square foot distribution center services 25,000 customers in over 50 countries. Feel free to call Marco Specialties at 803-957-5500. Marco Specialties, your pinball parts superstore at marcospecialties.com. This portion of TopCast is brought to you by Pin Game Journal, covering the world of pinball. Visit them online at www.pingamejournal.com. The Pin Game Journal is a proud sponsor of TopCast. It covers pinball like no other publication can. The Pin Game Journal is America's only pinball publication. Whether you're looking for new games or the classics, reports on industry shows or collector expos, insights on a game you want or features to help you fix the game you've got, Pin Game Journal is for you. Their website is at pingamejournal.com. Okay, we're back with uh, Jack at, at uh, pinballsales.com. So, Jack, tell us a little bit more about uh, about Family Guy. Well, you know, as I said, I was very um, surprised. I thought this might be our game this year. Um, just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was my impression. You know, I know there's a couple other things coming this year, and it's not a big secret. You know, Spider-Man is going to be after Family Guy. And um, Family Guy is a great game. Um it seems very deep. I think Pat did a great job on the playfield. I love I love the playfield. What he did with it, and especially that uh, Stewie playfield. Um, you know, you get to uh, uh, actually 
uh, accumulate more time to play on that game. And it's got this uh, off-skew kind of like little bit of evil music as you're playing up there. And the miniature flippers and the miniature ball. Um, it's really it's really cool. Um, I, I think the game overall, uh, it's going to bring in a lot of players that are younger. Uh, maybe not, it, it, to me, it may not be a game that I would put in a bar if I was an operator. Not that I wouldn't put it there. But I try to put it in a place where there's, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds uh, that might not get to go uh, to a bar. Again, you know, like my son's age, you know, bowling centers, venues that, that uh, you know, movie theaters, places like that. Because I think if you have that game lined up with some other pinball machines, um, I know what those kids are going to walk over to. They're going to walk over to Family Guy. Uh, and I'm not taking anything away from the, any other Stern titles, but, you know, there's different flavors that appeal to different people. And um, this, is, this is a real good title, real good game, solid game. I think also that the combination of people at Stern Pinball working with Pat and Pat's team, uh, you know, from what I understand, I mean, you had... Dwight Sullivan and Keith Johnson and Lonnie Rapp all involved, um, you know, with Family Guy. And that that's amazing. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't kill each other, everybody, uh, working on this game, you know. Uh, <laughs> Good because, collaboration. You know, I have an ego. Everybody's got an ego. And uh, some people are more temperamental than others. And, you know, if I set something a certain way and then somebody wants to come and change it, you know, um, I, you know, I think it's difficult to get a whole team like that together and work together, and then they produce something that's so great. And you have, you know, Ray Tanzer uh, with all the work that that he does, and all all of his people, and and Joe Blackwell, his end of everything. And you know, you can't leave out Gary or, or Jolly Shelley, all those people, Mike O'Donnell, everybody that gets into those meetings at Stern, seemingly every day, all day. Um, you know what they talk about and what they go through and all the. Uh, ups and downs of what they do just to get a, a pinball machine produced. You think, uh, you know, um, it's just amazing. But but the game itself is really solid. Um, it, it's going to earn money, uh, for sure, for operators commercially, which is why, um, uh, you know, we hope uh, that, that guys buy it and put it out on location. Uh, the home custom is, to me, obviously that's my bread and butter. Um, you know, uh, I know they're going to buy it put it in their homes and game rooms and stuff like that and you know people are going to play them but you know do I have a minute to talk about the influence that we have in the public yeah I mean you know we're we're hobby people um, you know I know I do this as my livelihood but we're hobby people and uh, we love pinball and uh, we love games but we have a great opportunity to go out on location and I know it's been written about on a news group before but um you know, we need to ask these locations to get pinball machines. And when those games are out there, we actually need to put some money in them. I'm not saying, you know, you got to stuff the cash box. You know, make the operator think that their broken pinball machine that they're not taking care of is making money. But I think part of what we're doing with the home games, and, um, you know, all of us and then all of the other people that are buying home games, especially pinball machines, we're actually breeding, um, you know, a new generation of players that... You know, okay, my kids grew up in the industry, and they grew up, you know, playing that, and friends come over, and they play pinball. But they get exposed to these pinball machines at home, and then they want to go play them commercially. And really, right now, I had a guy the other day in California that wanted to buy an Elvis, and it was a hard time 
getting them to even find an Elvis pinball machine anyway to go play it. I told them, go to the news group and post that. I gave them the address for the news group. I said, say that you're a home customer, you're one of my customers, and you want to play an Elvis, and I'm sure somebody will open their door to you. I mean, that's a heck of a way to get somebody to play. I mean, he bought the game, you know, but he said he had to drive two hours to go find one. So um, we have a lot of work to do. You know, we can't be fighting with each other, and we can't all agree on everything, but, you know, what we should try to do is keep promoting uh, what we love, and uh, pinball is definitely up there. Well, cool. I'll get off my soapbox now. No, no, I think it's a good soapbox. Uh, I think it's something that needs to be said. Um, you know, I mean, it's not... People don't, just don't understand that, you know, if you just buy machines for, you know, your basement that really doesn't promote, you know, pinball as much as you as it could be. Right. So, um, you know, it's it, it's good. I, I think it was a good speech. I, I, I liked it. You know, when we when we started... I'm not uh, voting for president for you, though. Nah. <laughs> I got enough trouble right now. I wouldn't want to switch places with that guy. <laughs> Although, uh, I, I think I could probably speak better. Well, we're not going to get into that. Yeah. Uh, I'm only teasing. I, I think, you know, part of part of um, when we started, you know, we were basically selling one pinball machine typically to a customer. You know, now we're selling the whole game. Before I came up, I did a layout uh, for a home game room with like, uh, 12 pieces of equipment in it, a room that's, you know, uh, 20 by 20. So we getting a lot, we're getting a lot more of that uh, rather than just somebody saying, okay, I want to buy... Uh, an old asteroids game or a, or an old pinball machine. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, there's a lot of other people moving into the marketplace as customers. How uh, how are your video game sales in comparison? Uh, uh, Namco's Rockin' Bowlerama and uh, Need for Speed, the underground driving games. We sell a lot of arcade legends. Um, you know, just like that, we sell. I mean, Dream uh, Hunt this week. A couple of extracting two went out. Uh, Miss Pac-Man's is still in there, you know, Miss Pac-Man, Gallagher's, Cocktail Tables, Uprights. Um, that's pretty much that's pretty much it in video. Um, I, we get a lot of service calls from people, you know, that have... We had a service call this week. A uh, guy had two cocktail table, you know, one was an Asteroids and one was uh, Miss Pac-Man, and we got over there, and they were both like bootleg games, and he was trying to understand why I wouldn't pick up either one uh, to be repaired. And um, because, you know, you don't know where you're going with them. You don't know what you're going to spend. Who knows what he wants to spend. And, you know, you can't be a hero to everybody, especially with the older stuff, you know. You can't right. do it. No, I, I know just what you're you saying. Yeah, we can't do it to run a business anyway and be profitable. I can't do it, you know. Right. Okay, but, Jack, uh, I'm going to let you go. I, okay. I'm sure you're busy and you've got things to do. Yes, I do. All right. Okay. <laughs> hey, thank you very much. I appreciate you calling. I think I'm going to go take a nap or something. <laughs> I'm going to go play pinball. That's what I'm going to do. There you go. That's what I should say. Okay. Thank All right, you. Jack. Thank you very much. Okay. This is, again, Jack from PinballSales.com. Thank you, Jack. Topcast is brought to you by Pinball Life. Give your pinball machine new life with parts from Pinball Life. We ship pinball parts worldwide. Pinball Life is located in the great city of Chicago. Their phone number is 773-202-8758. We have an open door policy and you're with your questions and answers. PM to 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Their website is at pinballlife.com. Pinball Life. No hassles, just the parts you need best. Pinball Life. If you can work on your games and your underwear, you should be able to buy parts that way, too. Pinball Life. Pinball Life. Because the other guys simply aren't hip enough to sponsor this crappy show. Okay, we're back. And uh, we're going to try a new segment today. Uh, it's uh, at TopCast. 
we're going to try something called. Um, hold on a second, I got this up. We are going to try and do game of the week. Now, game of the week is our uh, our featured game. Okay, so here is our game of the week. This is the 1958 um, United. Pixie Bowler. This is the world's smallest ball bowler at only seven and a half feet tall, and f- or seven and a half feet long and five feet tall. It uses uh, real small three-inch balls, but it is a real genuine ball bowler. If you're watching the webcam, you can see I've got pictures of the of the Pixie Chicks. Uh, get that Pixie Chicks on the back glass. They're real cute little babes uh, bowling across a green lawn, and there's no midgets to encumber their uh, their party time ladies party time but a uh, really fun game it uses six inch pins you know the normal pin size on a uh, on a bowler is uh, 10 inch so this is like everything is like scaled down um, it's got lots and lots of oak um, and you know it's basically just a miniaturized ball bowler in almost every regard it's only two players where most ball bowlers are actually uh, six players and uh, here now I'm showing a, a picture of the balls you can see the the three inch balls that it uses, which are are really small. I mean, compared to any ball bowler, um, you know that's uh, you know that's that's quite 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 small. Um, you know, they only made a couple other ball bowlers with balls that size. So it's it's uh, it's cute though. If you don't have a lot of space, here you can see a picture of me standing next to the game. And the reason why I'm doing that is kind of give you a perspective of of how small the game is. It really is quite quite small. Um, fun game though. I mean, once again, if you don't have 14 to 20 feet to to donate to a game you know this is uh this is the way around that and here i am bowling it you know i'm, I'm bowling the game you can see it plays just like a regular ball bowler it's kind of cool I, I actually really like this game you know i was um got this from some guys out of canada the lady was actually throwing it out the game was going to be put out on the curb and some collectors up in Ottawa picked it up for me, and then I met them in Hamilton and got the game. It had been repainted about three times, and then I did a kind of proper repaint on it. Though I didn't repaint the oak, probably should have, but I didn't. Um, I, I had to repaint the cabinet. It was just a mess. Uh, I had to remake the pin deck and all kinds of other stuff, too. All right, I'm going to switch back now. Okay, going back to our regular webcam. And uh, hold on, I'm switching back to the other mic. Okay, well, that was uh, Game of the Week. So... The next thing that we want to try is uh, last week we uh, we talked to took some calls on some people and we tried to fix their game on uh, on the air, which is incredibly difficult to do. But uh, we're going to try it. So this week we're going to give somebody a call back to see just how we did. And now it's time for stump the chump. Okay, so this is our stump the chump, and what we're going to do is we're going to call uh, Cliffy. Who was uh, one of the people that we uh, we actually dealt with on the air? Let me uh, give him a call here. I hope he answers. Hello, Cliffy. 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 This is Shaggy from uh, from Topcast. Hey, how you doing, Shaggy? How you hey, doing? It was a nice segment with Jack on there. Yeah, you like that? 
Not that, Jack. We <laughs> named the monkey Jack. <laughs> well, we're calling because last week um, we did a little stump the chump, or we we didn't do. We gave you some technical advice on fixing your Indiana Jones. Yes, you did. And uh, we're kind of going to see how that turned back. But I'm going to play a segment now in case um, people miss that. I'm going to play just a little segment. Uh, to, to let people know exactly what, what happened last week. Hold on a sec. I'm working on an Indiana Jones for a guy. Silly uh, path of adventure problem. You know, the motor's not working, and, and it seems like it goes too far, and then the motor cannot seem to bring it back. The little opto board that uh, tells it, you know, left and right, I had to put a new uh, lower opto on. Did you replace the other one just for, you know, giggles? No. I, you know, I would do that, too. Figure if, you know, one went, maybe it's not such a stretch to think that another one is going, going to... Okay, so that was uh, what happened last week. Um, how did it, uh, how did your Indiana Jones pan out? Well, actually, you know, I told you I'd replace that lower opto. And I did check voltages, but you told me to uh, check them again, and specifically uh, at that little board and uh, on the optos themselves. And, uh, you know, of course, I was a little stubborn with that. I was like, oh, you know, doggone it, I just put another opto in there. Now, what I didn't say is I didn't put a new opto in there, although I have a bag of them around here somewhere that Charlene gave me. I couldn't find them for love or money. But what I did have was an old TZ clock board, so I pulled an opto off of that. And when I pulled that little POA board off again, I checked the voltages at the opto, and then I trigger it, and I saw no change. So then I knew, oh my God, this is another bad opto. And it wasn't, you know, too far-fetched, obviously, since I pulled it off a bad TZ board. Yeah, the, the, the optos just get cooked inside that TZ board from the well, heat from the lamps. Well, generally, the ones on the, uh, the, the long-legged optos that get cooked... So I was pulling these, these are the uh, standard short-legged optos. They don't generally get as bad. Right, right. But apparently it did. So I I, <laughs> I pulled another one and took a chance, and now I'm getting kind of scared about lifting traces, you know, soldering and unsoldering on that POA board. But uh, by golly, I put another one on there, stuck it back in, and then I got the, uh, on the DMD display, the visual line showing a, the beam across the opto. And all was good. All is good. So you got it working. So, yeah. So, I mean, as it so turns... for the help on that. It, now, we were actually right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> imagine that. Yeah, that's hard <laughs> to believe. That, that, is just, that is just unbelievable. Okay. All right. Well, okay. i gotta, I got to thank uh, you and uh, your tech advice for helping me with that. And uh, couldn't have come from a better chump. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Cliffy, and I appreciate you coming back on the show. All right. Take All care. Right, take care. Okay, so that was uh, Stump the Chump. Now we're going to take some calls. If you want to call in, you can call in our 800 number. It's 1-800. If you have any questions, opinions, anything about pinball, relating to pinball, uh, feel free to give us a call, and um, you know we'll, we'll put you on the air. And uh, while we're uh, waiting for that to happen, I've got a couple little things to run here. Pins and Vids Episode 2, Attack of the Phones, is now available at pinsandvids.com. 
It's the best pins and vids yet. Double the fun and half the underwear of the first episode. Surely to be nominated for an Oscar for the best use of fake phones in a niche video or best special effects during a dream sequence. Worth much, much more than the $6 including shipping selling price. It's worth at least 7 or seven fifty. Get your copy now at pinsandvids.com. And now for a word from our lawyer. The entire sale price goes to the Pinball Hall of Fame. First episode, also available. Some pinball machines were hurt during the filming of the Pins and Vids, but they were old. Get your deranged deal. This portion of TopCast is brought to you by Pin Game Journal, covering the world of pinball. Visit them online at www.pingamejournal.com. Webwide Video is a proud sponsor of TopCast. For all your video needs, head on over to webwidevideo.com. Okay, um, we've got a caller, and we're going to put him on the line right now. Hello, can you hear us? Yes, I can. What's your name? First name? This is Jesse. Great, Jesse. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Wisconsin, your neighboring state. Great. And uh, so, tell me, what kind of game do you have, and are, do you have any issues with it? Are you looking to get solved? Well, in fact, uh, I don't really have any problems with the games right now. I uh, just wanted to call in and tell you guys you're doing a great job. Oh, well, cool. I appreciate that. And uh, the interview with Jack was uh, was really neat and informative. Great, great. We appreciate that. And when what kind of collector are you? Do you collect EMs or solid states, or do you collect both? I collect uh, anything anything I can get my hands on, really. Okay. Um, my collection right now has uh, mostly uh, some early solid state stuff. Okay. And um, I, I enjoy working on the EMs and the uh, the newer WCS games and. I guess I really can't call them new anymore, but... <laughs> right, the 90s stuff. Yep. Okay. Well, cool. All right, hey, I appreciate you calling. Okay, great. Thanks okay. a lot, guys. All right, take care. Bye. Okay, again, our number is 1-800. Here, we got somebody right now. Hello, how you doing? Good, thanks. So, what can I help you with today? And wh- what's your Hi, first name? You. My name's Reg. I'm calling from uh, Florida. How are you? Reg. Cool, Reg. I'm, I'm very good. How are you? Good, good, thanks. Uh, by the way, I, I'm very impressed with the radio show and really enjoy listening to... Uh, well, good, thank you. I appreciate that. Listen, I've got a uh, 1980s uh, firepower machine that I've had since about 1988. And uh, basically, in that possible ways of uh, restoring the play field on that and just figured I'd give you a call to see what kind of opinions you'd have. It has the typical wear in the, uh, the planet or Death Star area. Really hard to touch up. Yeah, really hard to touch up, and I'm not an artist in any way. I've looked to see if anybody has like some type of overlay or, or a, you know, a NOS playfield available, but uh, I've had no luck. So I figured since you seem to be the expert, I'd give you a shout. You know, on that I've not seen an overlay either. Um, that one, I've seen actually one person do a really nice job on touch up of that caliber, and that's. Um, uh, it's actually a gal. Her name is Phoebe. Um, I believe her website is pinballpainting.com. I, 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 that may not be accurate. You, you may want to... Right, because I, I, just, I just found that today, as a matter of fact. About uh, three hours ago, I just found that. Yeah, she's, um, she's real good with that type of touch-up. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of people, myself included, you know, we can do, you know, good, you know, good decent touch-up. But that particular thing, that planet that's in the middle of the play field on firepower, that's a really, really tough one. Um, it's not something that I'd want to tackle. Yeah. Um, but I've seen some of her work, and she seems to excel in that kind of that style of, of touch-up. She's really, really good at it. 
Now that that type of play field in that that era, um, what kind of paint did they use over there? What kind of finish is that? That's a lacquer finish, right? It's a lacquer finish play field with um, you know probably just one or maybe maybe two coats of uh, clear coat lacquer, uh, acrylic lacquer over top of that. Yeah. Um, if it was me, I, I would touch it up and then I'd clear coat it with like an automotive uh, an automotive clear. But I mean, you could use other things. The the I would on that one though do um, anytime you farm something out to somebody and they're and you're going to spend money and time and have them touch it up um you might want to ask them if if they do the clear coating too because um you know you might that's kind of a it'd be nice if it was a one-stop type gig yeah exactly now on something like that what do they typically do you take the play field off and you wrap it up in uh some type of cellophane and ship it out that way? Is that, is that yeah, that play field actually comes out pretty easily, yeah. you know, and then you kind of mummify it in bubble wrap and, um, you know, find a suitable box, uh, which is probably tricky. The other thing, too, is you have to consider the uh, length times width times girth dimensions um, and find out what UPS and FedEx ground uh, take as their maximum and make sure you don't exceed those because it's... Um, a play field could actually get to the point where it's it, you know it's bigger than what they might want it might be willing to carry. Right. So right, yeah. you know. Now the play field is kind of flaky right now. When I when I rub my hand over the surface, it just feels rough and flaky. Is that because the lacquer is coming up or? Um, it's hard to say without seeing it, but I would suspect that yeah yeah that might that might be the case. Um, you know I've seen them uh, flake off before. Um. You know, it doesn't take much to get it like that. So, yeah. So, what would you do in the case uh, that it is flaking? Is there do you, is buffing that just uh, the way to go to uh, you know that out? Or I think once you start the touch-up process, a lot of those issues will get handled um, automatically because whoever's going to do it is probably going to remove any serious flaking, and then you know once and then they're going to touch up the bare wood areas, and then once you clear coat the whole thing, it it, it kind of makes all those issues go away. Right, right. You know, as so far that's as the cabinet. Let me ask you this: uh, the cabinet head at one point um, took a took a fall and it kind of sp- split and stuff, and I re-glued it back together. And you can still just see the seams, but if I wanted to refinish the cabinet itself, um, I see in your videos you pretty much uh, repaint. Uh, what, what's your opinion on the decals that they have available? You mean the stencils? Yeah, do you prefer to repaint using stencils, or do you prefer to uh, use decals? Well, I think stencils are always the preferred method because that's how originally they were done. Originally, they were done with large brass stencils. Obviously, you know, you're not going to be buying brass stencils because of the cost of brass. Right, right. Um, So they sell kind of a a real frisket paper type uh, one-time use stencil. Uh, A lot of guys sell those, and, you know, they actually work pretty good. I've seen... I've never personally used that style. I usually I make my own stencils, um, but you know I buy stencil material. There's a, if you go to marvin3m.com/fix.htm in the uh, restoration section, yep. there's a link for uh, an actual company that sells stencil materials. Right. And um, you know I make a tracing, uh, and then I transfer that to the stencil and cut it out. And you know you gotta obviously have to do it for each color. Um, prep the cabinet, you know, fix any imperfection, and paste, paint the base coat, and then, uh, you know, then spray the, uh, you know, each one of the stencil colors in the correct order. Um, you know, that's how I like to do it. But I mean, similarly, you, you know, you can skip a step and you can buy the the stencils. I, I understand they're not real easy to work with, but but they give outstanding results. I yeah, mean, it's I not, a, you know, an easy job. Yes, I did speak with one person. They offered both the stencils and the decals, and. 
he was kind of trying to steer me towards the decals. Well, the decals are easy. Peel and stick, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I know a guy that does that, uh, that does um, bowler restorations, and, you know, he used to do a lot of stencil work, and it's to the point now where he just paints it the base coat and, uh, you know, peel, you know, had a, uh, a graphic artist do the uh, vinyl graphics and, uh, you know, peel and stick, and it's, uh, you know, it's a lot quicker. It it doesn't look as original, um, but, you know, it still looks good. To somebody that isn't used to seeing firepowers, you know, they're going to say, wow, it looks great. To somebody that's, you know, a purist, they're going to look at it and say, yeah, those are stickers. But, you know, stickers have been used a long time. I can remember seeing Herb Silver restorations in the 90s of Fireball, and he was using stickers. So, um, you know, it, it, it's obviously, you know, just a, a, a time versus, you know, you know how much of a purist you want to be. Yeah, because the stickers would devalue the machine, wouldn't it? You know, it's hard to say. I, I, I don't know if I can really comment, if I can really comment on that. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it may or may not. It's, it, it's really hard to say. It just depends how it all comes out. And also, I mean, how bad is the cabinet now? Is it really that bad? Uh, it's it's not in terrible terrible shape. It's not like my my other pins for sure. You know, me personally, I would glue and screw the thing back together with glue a grill, and then I would um you know I would attempt to do touch up on the cabinet, um because it is a uh, once again a stencil cabinet, and it's largely a black color base. It's not that hard to to redo. What is it? Black, yellow, and red. Is that, those are three colors? Yeah. Uh, you know that. To me, that's kind of where I would do, try and keep as much of it as original as possible. Then when you get done, you know, spray a, a, a light, you know, just like one coat of clear coat over it to kind of just, you know, mend it all together. And it, you know, you might be able to get away without having to actually, um, you know, do a, re, you know, do a re-stencil. Right. But, um, yeah, it just depends how damaged the cabinet is. I mean, if it's really nicked and gouged, you're, you're not going to be able to do that. Okay, I'm going to let you go. Thank you very, very much. Okay, you take care. You too. Bye. Okay, well, that's all the time we have. Uh, well, yeah, that's all the time we've got right now. Well, we've got somebody calling in. Hold on. Hello. 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 Hi. Hey. How are you? Who's this? What's your first name? Yeah, this is. Lost him. We lost him. You are still there. Okay, hold I'm on. I'm still here. There we go. Okay, All sorry right. about that. Yeah, this is Spencer down in Orlando, Florida. I had a quick uh, question on a Bram Stoker Dracula for you. Sure, shoot away. I picked this up. It was a project game, dead, not working. I brought it back to life. It had some bridge rectifier trace issues, so I fixed those. And so I just went ahead and did a shop job on it. And the ball throw that actually pops the ball into the shooter lane worked before the shop job and is not working now. I replaced the transistor on the board. Uh, with a new one, no difference, and if I ground the coil at the coil, it will fire. But if I ground at the board, it will not fire. When you, uh, did you have any of the connectors, well, you obviously had the connectors off the board when you, uh, uh, when you did the repair to the bridge rectifier, right? Right. And you said when you ground the coil, the ground lug on the coil, a coil does fire, but when you ground the transistor tab, it does not fire. That's correct. Okay, so that basically means that you have some kind of break in the wiring from the board to the coil. Now that could be maybe when you put the board back in you missed a connector. That's real, real easy on those games. Um, I do it practically 
every time I pull one of those boards, the connectors like to get one or two, especially the smaller ones, like to get kind of behind the board, and then you don't notice them. Um, and, you know, you could check the back of the manual on almost some of the last pages. There's a, uh, a list of connectors, and you right. can find the actual connector, and you can also trace the wire color. Uh, yep, I've done all that. I've checked all the connectors. I'm not missing any. I've traced the wire from the coil to the connector in the backboard, and it's good all the way up to the board, so I'm thinking it's got to be somewhere between the connector and the board. Now, I, I looked, I couldn't find any broken traces on the board. Could it be any of the chips or transistor chips on there other than the uh, the, the one that's actually for the coil? Uh, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not a stretch to think that maybe something like that happened, but, you know, again, the wire going up to the transistor if you're grounding the tab on the transistor all you're doing is basically that's just an extension of that ground wire from the coil so right. um, to me that still means you got a break somewhere um, and I guess you could you could do this you could find the connector that actually goes to that coil uh, you know the female connector that plugs into the bottom edge of that of that uh, WPC driver board right and then Take a you know I buy when I buy solder I get the really thin solder it's like I don't know thirty two thousandths thick just you know I rip a piece of that off and I stick it in the the pin that actually is for that particular coil and then I can actually ground that right on the uh, right on the ground wire um, and see if the coil fires I and mean, if the coil doesn't fire that means you got to break somewhere in the wire if the coil does fire that's a good thing then you need then you got to break somewhere between that connector and the transistor. And then you can just buzz that out with the DMM, uh, you know, your digital multimeter, and see if you got any uh, anything blown in the, uh, you know, there. Because I, I, you know, I guess taking the connectors on or off, you could have maybe cracked the header pins, um, you know, not intentionally. I mean, it, 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 believe me, it happens all the time when you plug those things on and off. The board flexes a little bit, and maybe right. you know the backside, maybe the, the header pin is is, uh, is is cracked. But you could trace that right from the header pin right up to that transistor. And you know somewhere you're missing somewhere you got a continuity break in that line. It it, it almost has to be that. Um, you know I'm not saying it isn't something else, but when you ground that transistor, all you're doing is you're testing the wiring from that transistor to the coil. And if it's not firing, but you can fire the coil right at the coil, yep. then then there's got to be a, a bust in the line somewhere. Okay, I think I've pretty much checked that kind of stuff three times. I was hoping there might be some. Some solution out of the blue, but I'll, I'll quadruple check it again, man. Okay. Well, good luck, and thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's the end of our show. We try and keep it at an hour, and um, we appreciate everybody calling in today. Um, we'd like to, uh, you know, thank all our, our advertisers. Uh, really do appreciate it, and also uh, people that that were willing to do uh, some of the plugs for us. We've got some uh, great great plugs, like for instance. Hey Pinheads, this is Mr. Hyde and you're listening to Norman Shaggy doing a broadcast of This Old Pinball. Yo, 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 it's a pinball pimp and I'm not polishing my cherry hose. I'm listening to Shaggy and Norm on the Topcast. Hey, it's Paul here from Pins Vids. When I'm not polishing my balls, I'm listening to Shaggy and Norm on the Topcast. If you're interested in uh, doing a little plug for us, we'd really appreciate it. Um, just, uh, you know, Contact us, send us an email, and uh, and we'll, we'll we'll hook you up. But um, really do like those plugs, you know. Some people are get pretty pretty darn imaginative about them. But again, thank you very much. This is uh, for 
uh, visiting our show, and we will see you again next week on TopCast. Marvin3M.com slash TopCast.